0: great to be here, and I, I'm re- I, I really want to. Got the volume on that? Great, all right. Um, I just want to thank everyone who's been involved in uh, getting us here and uh, helping us prepare well and know what to expect. The GMT team, shout out for them. Uh, Debbie Boys, members of the, the P-E-F's, PCF, excuse me, that dates me, PCF thank staff. Um, just thank you, thank you, thank you. Karen and I are just so excited to be here. Um, And and actually, for me, to be in this space, um, there are, uh, let me explain what I mean by this particular space. Um, There are three places on the university campus where when I walk in, I just feel right at home. And this is one of them. Um, I'll explain why this one, the third in the list, all right? So, the first one is 93 Holder Hall. Has anyone lived in 93 Holder Hall? Anyone live in Holder Hall? Yeah. Yeah, all right. <laughs> 93 Holder Hall, my first year. First semester, uh, November 11th. I, 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 let me back up. For several years, late high school, it took a gap year between uh, high school and, and Princeton. Those years were filled with all kinds of turbulence. Lots of confusion about what life is like. Is there a God? Is there right and wrong? I was doing crazy things, sinning a lot, getting guilty and shameful, and all this all this mess going on. And I came to Princeton, wound up in 93 Holder Hall, met some strange people eating at the dining hall on the other side of the courtyard there, and discovered that they were Christians. They shared the gospel with me, and over a period of time, like five, six, seven weeks. I came to an understanding of the gospel. And that morning, November 11th, a Thursday morning, 10:20 in the morning, <laughs> after I've been up all night kind of just really wrestling about this, I I finally said to myself, "Come on, Rastusha, you really want to know what life is about, and now it's presented to you in the person of Jesus." Receive him as your Lord and Savior. And so 10, 20 in the morning, I put my faith in Jesus Christ in 93 Holder Hall at the, 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 on the side of my bed. Okay. So this is in the 1970s. And back then, we didn't have MacBooks. We had spiral-bound notebooks, okay? <laughs> so I, 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 after I prayed and kind of like looked up, the clock there on my desk, I saw it was like 1035. And I had a 1040 lecture in macosh 50. That's the second place I feel right at home. <laughs> um, believe it or not. If you've been in there, it's a huge cavernous place. I don't know if they replaced the floors in there, but we walk in there. The, the old wooden floors are so creaky. You know, it's just huge. But I feel right at home because I grabbed my spiral bound notebook. I ran across the campus. I went in the fifth entry up to macosh 50. I came in, and of course I was late for lecture. And I kind of crept in, but it was hard to creep, creep in because the floors creak. And I kind of crept in and sat over on the side up toward the back. And the professor, Professor Kamen, was lecturing on Sigmund Freud. All right? And I kind of listened to him for like 30 seconds. <laughs> and then my, my, my attention went inward because I realized I'm at peace, I'm calm. I'm home. It's when what had happened 15, 20 minutes before sank in, And all the soul wrestling, and all the angst, and all the confusion. It was just kind of like, gone there in Makash 50, Site 101 lecture. I was born again. Third place is this building. Now back then, we met on Wednesday nights. Not Friday nights. And we didn't meet in this room. We met upstairs, okay? So the room was a lot like this room, but it's just one floor up. And it was a Wednesday night, my second semester. This is like February. This is the second Wednesday of the second semester of my freshman year. And I'm upstairs, and, you know, uh, we had a special speaker in for the night. And he was an alum. And I remember looking at him. He was an alum, like he was like in his late forties. And I remember looking at him, and saying, "Gosh, that guy looks so old. and that guy looks so bald." <laughs> F comes around, doesn't he? <laughs> All right? And but he, he did a great job with the text that he, he spoke on, and then he did Q and A, and then at the end, he said, "Before I'm done, I want to say one thing to the whole group." He said, you are gifted, smart, committed, young men and women. And Jesus' church, both in the U.S. and around the world, needs gifted, smart, committed Christian leaders. And if you have not settled out what your career is, What God's calling for you is in your life, then I want to ask you to consider whether or not God might be calling you into a ministry career. Now, I'm sitting there, you know, I'm I'm a young Christian, I I just don't know much, okay? And I'm sitting there, and he starts to say this, and I'm thinking, gosh, I start to think through my friends, you know, and so I think of Doug. That would be Anna's dad, okay? I think of Doug. And I say, look, Doug's gonna be a doctor. And then I think of this guy, Gary. I said, Gary's gonna be an engineer. I think of Calvin. Calvin's gonna be an oncologist. And I said, I I don't have anything better to do. (laughs) I don't have any real set plans. I'll do it. I mean, that's, that's that was what I said. I said, no, I'm not, not making that up. <laughs> now, obviously, things had to deepen from that point. <laughs> and they did. But the fact is, that was when God called me into ministry. And my life, both because of what happened in Hope Hall and in McCosh and here in Murray Dodge, my life has been... Uh, uh, Irretrievably different from those points from those points on, and I'm very, very. Thankful. Now, what I want to do tonight is I want to talk to you about um, what I'll call some not so secret secrets about a career in ministry, and uh, they have everything to do with what happened, especially in that upstairs meeting on that Wednesday night. And spoiler alert, at the end of this message, I'm going to give you, not word for word, but meaning by meaning, I'm going to give you the same appeal that was given to me a few years ago. Um, So that's where we're headed. And to get there, we're going to go through a text in the New Testament that talks about a ministry career. From the Apostle Paul. Now, he's, gonna, he's not going to put it in those terms. Those, those are modern terms. But he really is talking about a ministry career. So I want you to turn on your know, smartphone or in a Bible if you've got the physical hard copy or wherever. Get to Second Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I'm going to read to you verses, verses 7 to 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. I'm especially tonight going to focus on one verse. The last verse, verse 12, but I like to put things in their context, and this is the paragraph unit of which verse 12 is kind of a summary statement. So let me read verses 7 through 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. But we have this treasure. The treasure would be the the, the glorious gospel and the opportunity to minister to it, administer it. All right? So we have this treasure in jars of clay, very ordinary breakable thing. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but we're not uh, not driven to despair. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death, or you could actually call translate that the dying. It's a different word. The dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So, death is at work in us, but life in you. This is God's word. Father, I pray that as we look at, especially verse 12, that your spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, the spirit of insight, the spirit who is at work, the hearts of your children, that your spirit would take the truth there and apply it in the appropriate way to each heart here. Help us to leave transformed and changed. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. 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 Verse, three, verse 12 has three not-so-secret secrets about gospel ministry, about ministry. I call them secrets because people can hurry right past them, whether in this verse or just in life in general. You can just head right past and not notice them. But they're not-so-secret because if you pause and think about it, you'll see them. Not-so-secret secrets. And if we allow these not-so-secret secrets to really sink into our minds and our understandings and our hearts, then we're going to have a a, a better understanding, a richer understanding of what it means to be in a, a, a ministry career. Every one of us here has what I'm going to call a ministry imagination, a collection of pictures and associations that you you connect to that word ministry. We all have it. Some of you may have a ministry imagination that would be comparable to mine that February of 1972. I just knew nothing about Christianity. I certainly didn't know anything about ministry. I remember when I grew up, you know, we used to have marmalade now and then. And my mom would always buy this marmalade made by these monks out in western Massachusetts, trap Trappist monks, and on the label was orange marmalade. And then there was a picture of a monk, and he had this, you know, like brown thing on him. He had a hood. And so I remember, you know, when I, one of the reasons I was reluctant to become a Christian, and it took so long for me to become a Christian, was because I was fearful. If I become a Christian, I'm going to wind up stirring marmalade <laughs> and pouring it into jars in of the afternoon. And the same thing with ministry. Oh gosh, if you go into ministry, you're just going to be a monk stirring marmalade. That was at best my ministry imagination. And some of you who are newer to the faith, who haven't gone to church, haven't been around ministries. You may not have much, if anything, or maybe kind of a really crazy idea of what it means to be in Christian ministry. Others of you have been involved in church maybe since you were born, and uh, during your uh, teen years, you are involved in youth group at your church, and maybe you were a youth leader, you know, and, and you loved all that stuff, but you know, when it came to kind of the adult side of the church, you know, maybe the Uh, Sunday services, not them, then maybe prayer gatherings and potlucks and other kind of gatherings of the church. You learn very quickly to feel like, gosh, the adults, they have church, and I I don't feel part of it. They're not making me feel part of it. Churches don't do a good job of integrating teens into the life of the church. And so for you, when you think about ministry, you kind of have a sense of, who would want to do that? You, you need know, a ministry reset, a ministry imagination reset. Others of you, let's say you know you're here. you've, you've been here, maybe you're a junior or senior, you've been watching the P- PCF staff for a couple years and you can kind of say to yourself, man, I would love to be on the PCF staff. you know, Ministry is wonderful. Look, they get to play kickball every Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know? And, and, and it's just kind of, wow, that would be just an awesome, awesome thing. And I, hey, I was on PCF staff for seven years. It is an awesome thing. But it another side to it, And you need a ministry reset, too. So these three truths are going to help us reset our ministry imaginations how we think about ministry. The first not-so-secret secret is going to focus and center on the word us. Remember verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. It's going to focus on that word us. And by focusing on that word, we're going to discover that there are distinctive, if not unique, highly distinctive dynamics and realities to a ministry career. Now, let's take a look at the verse. Let's go, you can move back to verse 12. That'd be great. Um, uh, take a look at the verse. and you know, So, death is at work in us, but life in you. And, you know, there are plenty of places in Paul's writings where when he uses us or we, the plural first-person pronoun, he's referring to all Christians. I was just reading the other day in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, where it says, So then being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Jesus Christ. The we is all Christian. This is not one of those places. This is not a reference to all Christians, death being at work and office. Now that should be obvious because he's, he's, he's making a distinction between himself and the Corinthian believers. And I wasn't even going to have this point in my message until one week ago today I was in a, a, a mentorship group. My wife and I. Um, uh, Lee, we started up with a team, uh, a, a ministry called Linden Grove Ministries. and What we're about is we mentor pastors and church leaders, locally, regionally, and worldwide. And a week ago, I was in what we call a triad. Well, actually it's a triad plus one. Okay, <laughs> Me plus three younger pastors. And we were talking, and actually this text came up, and we, we turned to the text and we were talking about it, and it became very quickly apparent to me that they were talking about the text as if to us, we there, the subject, was every Christian. And he'd say, well, wait, 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 no, 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 no. This is a text in which Paul is talking about his experience as a gospel minister. And the reason he says us is because he was not alone in that. The letter is written at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1, read Paul, a servant or apostle of Christ Jesus, and Timothy. There are two Paul's the main writer, but Timothy was your widow, and so it's an us. My point is that this text is a wonderful opportunity. This paragraph is a rich opportunity to have the window open and to hear Paul reflect on a ministry career. And what he's saying, in effect, is that there are realities that are different from your Corinthians realities. There are experiences, dynamics, difficulties, opportunities that are distinct, if not unique. Some of those distinctive realities are joyful, happy and glad. I was on staff, camp and I, with PCF in the 80s. I loved it. I just loved it. Um, Karen did too. But at a certain point, around 1983, um, I felt like God was calling me to something different. And one of the main reasons why was that I felt like I wanted to see the gospel impact people at every stage of life. Kids, preteens, young teens, jump over to college years, Uh, young adults, middle-aged adults, seniors. I wanted to see the gospel, in effect, be at work in people from pregnancy through death. What does it look like? What change can the gospel make? And that that, that desire grew and grew and grew and I became more and more restless. And in 1985, uh, Karen and I, uh, with tears, left PCF I became pastor of what was then Westerly Road Church, now Stonehill Church, and I pastored that church for 35 years. Um, one of the greatest joys of pastoring that church was to see the gospel at work, in children, all the way up through people on their deathbed in their 80s. It's a great joy. But others of those distinctive realities are difficult Hi. Let me give you an example of that. I'm going to borrow from some uh, from some research done up at the Daniel Institute, the Danielson Institute at Boston University, a, a, a research that just came out about a year ago, at the end of 2021. The Danielson Institute has various areas of expertise in what it does, including areas of uh, working with PTSD. SD, post-traumatic stress disorder. Post-traumatic stress disorder is a collection of symptoms, behaviors, etc., that, that result when someone is exposed either to a, 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 um, a, a urgent, immediate, overwhelming crisis or to a chronic, intense crisis. So this study did something new. Typically, we associate PTSD with people in high pressured uh, professions. So for instance soldiers in war. Soldiers in war, studies show that soldiers in war have a 30% chance of developing PTSD. Uh, Police Police have a 10% chance because of their profession. Firefighters have a 20% chance Emergency room workers have a 17% chance. Uh, first responders, depending upon the nature of the response, have between 15 and 30% chance. What this study did was it took a look at clergy. Cross-denominations, including denominations that are represented well here. Cross-denominations, and they found that clergy, because of constant exposure, to repeated, intense stress, either because of the leadership dynamics of being a pastor or because you're walking with people through periods of stress, Uh, people in the clergy profession have a 35% chance. That's the highest of all the professions that they've measured. 35% chance of developing PTSD. Now, I know I'm not selling any of you, (laughs) <laughs> okay. we'll get to that later but I'm, I'm just trying to give you some realism in fact my second point is going to take this a notch further my second point is this is to get at the little word in there death so death isn't working up. and focusing on that word helps us see that some of the distinctive realities of ministry careers some of those realities are bad news The bad news about a career in ministry. Paul says death is at work in us. Now, by death, he means anything an experience, a situation that involves loss, suffering, danger, threat, whatever. And in this letter, 2 Corinthians, because of the the nature of, uh, uh, because of the reason why he's writing it, the nature of his relationship with the Corinthians at that point. In this letter, Paul gives a lot of attention to the kinds of things he means by death. Some of them are little and some of them are big. He gives in this letter four lists of quote unquote deaths. You got one list earlier in the paragraph up in verses eight and nine. Let me reread that for you. You'll hear him list four categories of deaths. We're saying we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. That word afflicted there is probably his, his, his word. He uses it a lot for just his general reference to anything that poses hardship, difficulty in your life, especially in your spiritual life. We're afflicted in every way. We're perplexed. We're, we're lost. We don't know what to make, but we're confused. But we're not driven to despair. We're persecuted. This is, you can just read the book of Acts and see Paul, Paul being persecuted, chased from town to town to town because of preaching the gospel. Persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We're struck down, whether he means that literally physically, he was literally physically struck down, stoned, beaten. Or whether he's just referring to that more metaphorically, it's unclear. Struck down, but not destroyed. I love in that list, by the way, he doesn't do this in the other list, but in this list, he, he mentions the, the death. And he shows how God's providence, God's good care, protects him from that death carrying it all the way to the desperate end. Anyway, there's one list. You know, he has a list in chapter six. He's got a list in chapter eleven. He's got a list in chapter twelve. Let me pull out some of the words that he uses to describe deaths uh, in those texts. Second uh, Corinthians chapter eleven, verse twenty-eight. Something that I can I can. Very easily connect with, and I'm sure that your members of your staff can connect with as well. Uh, the day, a death would be the daily pressure on me from my anxiety for all the churches. He worried about the people that he led to faith in Christ. He worried about these churches. He talks elsewhere about having sleepless nights, undoubtedly at times because of worry. Over in chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, this is the end of the famous section where he talks about his thorn in the flesh and how Christ is powerful when he is weak. And at the end of that, he gives a list. Here are the kinds of things I have in mind. And this is comprehensive of all kinds of hardships. Weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. Kind of every category. Now, as you go back, can we go back to 2 Corinthians, uh, the full paragraph? Uh, the whole paragraph. If you, if you go back up to verse 10, and then in 11, you'll see him say something even more sinister about these deaths. Up in verse 10, he says, He's always carrying kind of around this body. In verse 11, he says, We who live are always being given up to death. So, in other words, this is not something that happened every once in a while. He's saying, gosh, this happens all the time. It's a regular experience for me in, in, in my, my ministry career. And I can connect with that. I can understand that. You know, let me first of all say that, you know, I served with PCF, and I served with Stonehill Church, and now I serve with Lyndon Grove Ministries. Here I am. I'm still standing. I'm still happy. I'm still joyful. Okay? You, you, God gets you through but I am who I am, and I become who I am, in good measure, because of all those deaths, those big and small, the big issues, the big conflicts, the big difficulties, and the little ones, the daily ones, the, one that, the ones that fulfilled Jesus' call in Luke 9, to take up your cross daily and follow me. Boom. Now, if I were to write my list... It would include things like receiving undeserved and angry emails, being ridiculed before community planning boards and town council on multiple occasions, ridiculed for my church's faith, having sleepless nights because of anxiety about people in my church the church problems, Dealing with unfair expectations on myself, or when, especially when my kids were younger, on my, my children. Being misunderstood, I grew up in a family of six boys. I was number five of the six. I kind of always felt lost in the middle there somewhere. You know, somewhere. And what, you know, as a result, it's very important to me to just know that I'm heard and understood. Don't have to be agreed. You don't have to agree with me, but just heard and understood. So, it just has always hurt me so much, gotten under my skin so deeply, when I'm not understood. Those would be the kinds of things that have been deaths for me many, many others. And some of you, I know, are considering a career in missions, in global world. And Karen and I contacted some friends, uh, a couple that we're mentoring. They, they just left to go to Kenya. And I, I, I asked them okay, so what are some deaths that you would want? The students here to know about. Here's what they wrote. Well, first of all, the lack of security. We no longer have police, ambulance, firemen just minutes away. In fact, we were were told not to rely on the local police, and we are told that that, uh, where we live does not have a fire department for miles. Number two, extreme difficulties in communication. Because we don't know the language, It takes a lot of energy to figure out what's happening, and what's being said, and what's being said actually means. Number three, grief and sorrow over the fact that we can no longer see our families and friends back in the US. Death, death is at work, you know. But this is a gospel text. So let's go back to verse 12 and let's see the second half. And let's focus on the word life, the word that changes absolutely everything. Death is at work in us, but life is at work in you, Corinthians. Yes. And we take a look at this one, we're going to discover that other of those distinctive, if not unique, realities about ministry are, are the good news about a ministry career. Life is at work in us. Paul means by this gospel life. This is a gospel soaked statement. I mean, look at it. Death. Oh, <laughs> we'll just, yeah, there, there's a statement. Others of those that seem to are good news. And I'm sorry, Christian, I'm going to make you bounce back again to that verse 12. You're doing a great job. I'm just a little chaotic. All right? Death isn't working us, but life in you. Okay, so death and life. Pause intentionally uh, in this statement. Referring back to Jesus and, and, and Jesus' own, own own story. Death was at work in him, so life could be at work in us. Death followed by life. And so it is in the Christian ministry. All those deaths, if, if you take them as from God and, and walk in faith through them, they lead to life. Deeper life for you and deeper life for the congregation, of the people that you're serving. That word life changes everything. And there's that wonderful exchange through the pronouns, us and you. Boy, is that gospel. Death is at work in us, life in you. I'll pull the all-nighter, you get the A on the paper. You know, it's that marvelous swap that's so gospel-rich. So, while I know that I have not done a great job at recruiting you into ministry for years. Now I want to change everything. Because if you want to spend your life doing full-time the kinds of things that can, with God's grace, deliver hope and life and meaning and joy to other people, then you should think about it. If you want to spend the bulk of your time doing things like explaining the gospel and and God's mercy from time to time, leading people to faith in Christ. If you want to spend the bulk of your time bringing eternal truths on a regular basis into the lives of the people in your congregation, truths from God's word. If you want to um, bring life by watching a town Case of Stony Hill Church, watching a town over time reverse its long standing animosity toward us as a church because of what we preach and teach. And watch that town reverse its long standing animosity to a respect, an appreciation, and an openness. If you want to give the bulk of your time to helping people succeed for eternity, If you want to give your time seeing broken marriages, broken friendships, healed and restored, if you want to give the bulk of your time to walking people through repentance, restoration, reconciliation, forgiveness, and renewal, then you should consider a ministry. Let me wrap things up for the summary. of I've said. First of all, there are distinctive realities to a mystery career. Secondly, some of those realities are bad news. But not really. Because thirdly, others of those realities are good news. And there's a direct connection So now I'm going to give that promised closing people. For those here whose career path is happily settled, praise God. You have a calling from God, fulfill it, and that calling is just as noble, and just as important to God's kingdom as someone's calling in a ministry career. But as you do so, please. Make sure that you're part of, of the Lord church and that you understand and serve those whose career is in ministry, whether they're the pastors and people on your staff of your church or whether they're people on the other side of the world bringing the gospel to those who have not heard. Second, for those of you whose career is not yet settled Consider seriously if God might be calling you to a ministry career. And finally, for those whose career is settled and it is ministry, there's so much more you to learn and think about from Second Corinthians and especially from Second Corinthians chapter four, verses seven through twelve. Finally, to all. Of you. Come on out tomorrow. Karen and I are gonna be interacting with uh, some important themes of, of how to plant yourself right now in what we call Grove, and we'll explain that. So that regardless of what your, what your career is, you can flourish and thrive in the kingdom of God, building up those around you. Mm-hmm. We are going to have a special emphasis, obviously because of the Global mission, uh, Ministry Teams conference here, a special emphasis on career in ministry, pastoring, Knowledge. But come on out. We'll talk about discerning God's will in your life. We'll talk about reframing difficulties in light of the gospel. We'll talk about providing practical advice to those of you who are already happy settled in a non-ministry career. What you can do to advance the kingdom of God by serving those in ministry careers. Let me pray. Father Boyd, just a real special delight for you to be here this evening. <coughs> And I pray, Father, that you would take what's been sheared and sink it well. Holy Spirit of God, blow away what's the chaff and take, take what's the germ of the wheat, the seed, and plant it in each heart, in each soul, in each of our faith, such that that seed would grow and take root, and your, your kingdom, your church, would be strengthened and advanced. I pray this in Jesus Christ's <coughs> great, great name. Thank you so much.